This is Petticoat Rule, a program about musical productivity examined through the storytelling lens of women in the music industry. Tara Molesworth. Hello. And our guest today is Morgan Arena. Hello. It seems like everyone believes in themselves, but not enough, sir, to believe in anyone else. But I feel the weight on my shoulders. Feel the sadness sinking in. It's like the world is taking over, and I'm stuck doing what I always did. Morgan Arena is a solo singer songwriter and guitarist with an ethereal voice that easily captivates her audience. Her lyrics are pensive and personal, her finger-picking style deft and exquisite. The haunting feel of her live performance elicits attentive silence from the audience as they experience fluid emotional connection. The effect translates just as well to recordings, which can pull a tear from your eye or raise your hair on end through the simple combination of her voice and her guitar. To me, music is all about transmitting emotion from one person to another, and I have not seen many do this as well as Morgan. One gets the sense that she is a highly sensitive person, and in her music she is vulnerable, allowing us to see the pain and elation that comes from deep perception and curiosity about the surrounding world. Her music is played routinely on WYAP, and she has had placements on TV shows, but these are only a partial element of her success. A prolific songwriter and striking performer, Morgan is a natural and a rising star. We are so pleased to have her on the show today. So welcome, Morgan. Thank you. Okay, so my first question yes. is, uh, I saw in, I watched the Q, WQED Sessions mm. feature on you, which is super cool. Very cool. And like in this interview, you just like casually throw in there that you, something about briefly being in, in the punk scene. Mm-hmm. And that's like so different from <laughs> your your folk indie folk like yeah. finger picking beautiful quiet you know powerful yeah. thing. So it is, but punk is super powerful in a different mm-hmm. way. But you said you said somehow like your influences and what you do now are related to that. So tell me about what this punk scene stuff was that you did and how you sure. feel like that relates. Um, so I got into the punk scene when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. So um, you know started dating a guy who was into punk scene. And of course, you know, that led me to go to a lot of punk shows. And I was living in New York City at the time. Uh, so I grew up there. And we went to a lot of punk shows in ABC uh, neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And um, it was interesting. I think I got a lot of my angst from, like, in my music, I have a lot of angsty, like, words i have a lot of angsty ways of singing my songs mm-hmm. um i always like to incorporate i've always wished that i could like scream 
Yeah. Like punk people do. But I could never do that in a song. I can scream. Uh-huh. But I just can't do it in a song. <laughs> can you can you scream but, outside of the actual emotional moment of the scream, or are you, you just well? Mean? The thing is, what I do in my songs is like I'll do this. It sounds almost like I mean, it sounds weird, but it, it's almost like a desperate shriek. Oh. <laughs> like so, I don't know. It like sounds witchy like witchy style. Witch almost, style? I don't know how to describe it. It's like, can you do it? Now, yeah, I don't know. maybe in the song later, okay. <laughs> but, but um, I'm not sure if I can do it now, but it's like, yeah, I don't know why desperate comes to mind. I think it's because I just want to scream so badly, but it's like, I like that folk punk thing. So, and I grew up listening to folk mm-hmm. with my parents. And then I grew up listening to punk with everyone I like in school. Mm-hmm. And so... I just put two and two together. I was like, well, this works. And then I got into goth stuff, and that's a whole different other story. (laughs) (laughs) But did you play punk music at a point? When I started off, my first guitar was an Ibanez electric guitar, Mm -hmm. um, which is usually used for metal music, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. basically. And then, you know, but I used it as more of like a punk thing. And then, uh, I don't know. Did you have a group that you played with? I did not. You I just like not. jammed out. I just out jammed by myself. Yeah, in my room. I mean, I was one of those losers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was just like played in my room by myself. Didn't have many friends besides my boyfriend, and you know that wasn't that great. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I just I, I just played in my room, and and this was around I was fifteen mm-hmm. when that happened. So, um. Is that when you first picked up the guitar, or when mm-hmm. did you first get the guitar? I first got my guitar when I was fifteen. I see. Because I, I had a big crush on this guy uh-huh. who had who, who was from Cuba, actually, and um, I thought he was so cute. He had glasses and you know dark brown hair, and he was just so cute. And then one day we had to do this group project out in the hallway or whatever. We had like. I don't know, got grouped up with people. And he had brought his guitar uh-huh. to group. I don't know what project we were working on at this point, but he brought his guitar, and it was this, I remember, it was this, because I kept looking, we were stand, sitting in the hall, and I kept looking over at him because, you know, when you're having a crush, yeah. you can't help but, like, your head move by itself. It's like, what's going on? Especially at that age, it's, like, so <laughs> yeah. hard. Exactly. Like, muscle muscle movement is involuntary. Um, but So he knew you had a crush on him, though, you think? I don't think he did, but I kept looking at it. Maybe he did. I don't know. <laughs> but um, I kept looking at him, and then I noticed that he had this red electric guitar. And I was like, at that moment, the crush was gone, uh-huh. and I fell in love with this guitar. And I was like, what is that? I want that. I want that, <laughs> whatever that is. And so I came home to my parents and like I did felt, you get to? Did he let you play it? No. Oh, please! I did not talk to this person. Oh, I see. Yeah, that level crush. <laughs> I got you. Oh, please! No, 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 no. But I came home and I, I just, I, I was so excited. I wanted to tell my parents this, but I was like, it felt like a crush. So I didn't want to be like all open about it mm. because I thought it would be weird. You know, all these things where you. You want to tell your parents about a boy, but I was thinking about a guitar. <laughs> so it was like, wait, I don't know. So eventually I told them and they were like, 
I think they were relieved. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, I wasn't talking about drugs. I wasn't talking about boys. And I was talking about a freaking guitar. So Uh they brought me to Guitar Center pretty soon afterwards, and I got my Blue Ibanez. Wow. Which I still have. Great. Awesome. Yeah. I always love to ask about gear and things like that. And um, a lot of... People all have their original instruments that mm-hmm. they started with, which is so definitely so wonderful. Yes. It's just so telling about um, the relationship people have with mm-hmm. with music, you know. Um, but you actually started on piano. I did. I did. My mother put me into piano lessons at a very young age. Um, what age that is, I can't remember because it was very young. Um, my sister is two years older than me, so she started around the same time. So. And she probably remembers when we started, but I was probably at an age where I'm like memory muscles are not really working. But, um, yeah, so we got into piano lessons, um, you know, learned a bunch of Bach and Mozart and all that yeah. crap. And <laughs> the really boring stuff they really make boring like stuff. five-year-olds learn yes. how to do. Yes, <laughs> and I, uh, you know, got bored of that eventually, and I told my piano teacher um, – I would like to learn ragtime. And then, you know, after, you know, I took ragtime until basically I was like, I want to do my own stuff. Because we kept doing recitals. We had Mm -hmm. piano recitals. Mm -hmm. And so I started writing songs really at a very early age. And I was like, well, you know, this seems so boring. Like we all just go up to this piano and just play songs that other people wrote. Like why? (laughs) You know? So you started writing songs originally on the piano mm-hmm. at this age of maybe what is this like eight Ooh, or yeah ten or maybe eight like that? probably eight six eight what probably was your somewhere first around there song like oh god I don't know it was probably something so dumb did it have lyrics too or was it just um, uh, you know actually plunk? my mother <laughs> my mother has a tape of so I had one of those what's called um, I guess a tape recorder. But it was one of those old ones with the big buttons. Um, and I remember one of my earliest rem- memories is standing in the kitchen of our old apartment and clicking the play button on this tape recorder and just singing. What's that song? It's called The Ants Go Marching. Oh, yeah. But I, one by I, one, I, hurrah, right. Hurrah. But I made up totally new lyrics for the song. <laughs> so, and like that whole tape has all sorts of songs. That was just like a cover. And I guess I violated <laughs> a bunch of cover. rules. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, BMI's coming out. Exactly. You. My God, imagine. They're like That's gotta be public domain, right? <laughs> yeah, right. It's... At this point, come on. <laughs> um but yeah, I don't know. I think I've been writing I've been writing songs for a long time. Very long time. So you're your mom obviously wanted to foster musical development yeah. in you. So your parents were Definitely. very open to your creativity. Mm-hmm. My they... mom was, I think, because she didn't get to do that when she was younger. Oh, okay. That like, was going to be my next question. Yeah. Is like, what's the motivation there? Like, are they musicians or is it because they, they were not able no. to? No. No one in my family is musical except for my sister because she got put in this stuff too. But mm-hmm. um, I think my mother always wanted to be creative. She's a brilliant drawer. Um, she can draw a bird that looks like it's going to jump off the page. Um, but yeah, I think that she kind of regretted never being able to play an instrument 
So that's why she did that. I mean, she put us in all sorts of things. Like it was soccer first, which I totally did not like at all. <laughs> I actually scored a goalie for the other team that's because I wanted like to get sports. kicked off. Oh, I did it because I had no idea what I was doing. Oh, no. I, I, I had an agenda. I wanted to leave. So you got yourself kicked out of out of soccer, out, out of team like sports. That. I was into ballet, or she put us into ballet as uh-huh. well. Yeah. Um, Did she have you do doing visual arts too, or how are no. you and your sister at drawing? You know what I? She let us draw. I mean, not let us, but I mean, you know, we did that stuff. I think I was more into it than my sister. Sorry, I keep knocking this. Um, I was definitely more into it than my sister, but. It's actually lately that I've gotten more into it. Oh, so you've been picking up yeah. a pencil. Yeah, I've been picking up a pencil. I like one of my favorite things to do is making one of those flip books. Oh. Like I do that as a hobby uh, at work yeah. when I'm bored. Yeah. I'll just make it like a flip book. Yeah. Last one I did was like a mouse jumping off a can <laughs> and a spider picked up the can and the mouse was in the can suddenly and then – it's like mouse jumped out, whatever. But it was, I don't know. That's like a fun little hobby of mine. Um, but I've tried, I'm actually getting more into painting uh, as well. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not good at it. I just like to do it. Yeah. <laughs> now let me ask you about the um, the the story arc of the, the mouse and the paint can and sure. everything. Um, did you know all of that before you started, sat down to start drawing the flip book or did you, you drew a mouse and then there was a can and now the mouse is yeah, doing this and then the spider came, came out of nowhere and yeah. you're like, oh, there's a spider now. Now and there's like, a how spider picking up this can. Um, <laughs> no, it's just, I mean, I was at work. Uh-huh. I was bored out of my mind because yeah. my day job sucks. I mean, it doesn't suck. It's a nice paycheck, but I don't mind. Don't edit this out because they know. Oh. <laughs> oh, they know. Um, but you know, it was boring. You know, so Uh I had to keep my – it was one of those days where, like, no customers came in for, like, three hours. And so I'm like, hmm, what should I do? And everyone else in my – you know, all my coworkers, they aren't as uh, creative or whatever. So it's like they do other stuff. They can find themselves tasks to do, but, like, I need stimulation Mm -hmm. completely in my head. So, you know, I just one day – this was the first flip book that I did – and um, I think it just came to me like a song where yeah. it just flows right. out of you. Uh huh. Because, like, first the mouse was eating something out of the can, and then it went into the can. That's right. It went into the can to eat the rest of it. Then a spider picked up the can, and then the mouse jumped out of the can and was like, whoosh. Thank God. <laughs> it didn't get eaten by a spider or something like that. I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a very simple story. It was all I could find because I had to find, like, things around work that I could make into a flip book. Right, yeah. <laughs> Which isn't the easiest. Yeah. So so it, it really feels to me like creativity is um, something very therapeutic and, mm-hmm. and almost like self-soothing activity yes, for you. Definitely. I've also uh, learned how to crochet. Oh, yeah. Recently. It's a good one. Um, dude, my cousin, she taught me how to crochet. And I've my mother also told me – or no, I wanted to learn – I forget what it's called, where you just basically stick – I don't know how it works. It just sticks the yarn into there. Um, like an embroidery kind of a thing? Kind of, but like stabbing the cloth. <laughs> 
once <laughs> and then it goes in. I see, I see. <laughs> so you get that nice stabbing action yeah. too. So yeah. rage can get out. Exactly. And that uh. looks really appealing to me. Uh. I think all of this stuff is like really good for people who have um you know, self-destructive behaviors. So mm. it's like it's very therapeutic to do that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Stab like a needle into a thing and then you make a bird. Yeah. <laughs> And then, yeah. the, and then the bird's bird. wing is making a big little finger. <laughs> Fuck you. Exactly. Exactly. I want to make throw pillows for all my family members saying, Fuck you. I'm <laughs> or let's have a dance. Never mind. Aww. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so you are from New York originally. I am. And Born you, and raised. And you, um, we were talking before that your dad is Puerto Rican. Mm hmm. He so, was born in Queens, but he is Puerto Rican. Like, he, he's actually the second youngest child in a family of eight kids. Wow. Yeah. So my abuela and my abuela are from Puerto Rico. And then um, I think it was up to – I might get this wrong. But I think it was up to the third or fourth to last child. Everyone else was born in Puerto Rico. And then the rest were born over here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so is everybody over here now? Everyone's over here now. Well, I mean, my grandparents are dead, but um, and a lot of my actually, I had an uncle and aunt this year who died. But um, Sorry. yeah, I still in my in New York City. I have my aunt Nikki and my dad James. Um, they're still there. So, and then I have some. I have a bunch of family in Miami. <laughs> right, of course, bunch of family. Yeah. So, do you know Spanish? Um, I know vaguely. Um, and actually lately I've been trying to like just re-up my, uh, lingo here mm-hmm. just because I feel a little bit left out, but, and especially cause my sister's going on a trip to Chile. So mm. I was like, oh, cause she was trying to up her Spanish. So I was like, well, maybe I will too, <laughs> you know? Um, but we, we didn't really grow up with, um, I mean, it sounds awful cause I love my dad, but we didn't really grow up with my dad. Mm. Um, I mean, we grew up with him, but he was working a lot, and my mother basically was around twenty four seven. So, right. so your cultural influences were not really Puerto yeah, Rican, yeah, right? Um, I mean, we'd have like I had Spanish food while I was growing up and stuff. Um, you know, and I hear him on the phone talking Spanish to people. Um, you know, and I grew up in a very Puerto Rican neighborhood in the Bronx. Um, but, yeah, primarily since I was my, with my mother, we didn't really learn Spanish because English was the first language right, in the right, house. Right. Yeah. yeah. So is your mom just, like, so delighted by your musical, like, flourishing? Because <laughs> you're really just, like, this beautiful musician. And, I mean, it's got to be, like, the best outcome for in her mind for having when she took you to those lessons right and you were probably not that into it and you're like oh, <laughs> right and she's dragging you and you're gonna appreciate this someday i mean maybe she wasn't like that i don't know a lot of, <laughs> a lot of parents say that to their kids when they don't want to she never go. said that to me but i actually also don't know if she is i think she is because of the things like if i send her something she's like oh you're on your way and all this stuff uh-huh. it's like great job um so i think but I don't know. I'm not sure, like, how she actually feels. Mm. I think she's proud of me. (laughs) I'm sure she is. I'm sure that she is. You know? Yeah. I mean, you're such a prolific songwriter. 
Well, used to be. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, I've been having a little blockage lately. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, um, just kind of in a rut. Does that does that mean you're just like writing only like a hundred songs a year yeah, right. instead of no. three? <laughs> this year, I've probably written one song so far since the new year. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. I, honestly, sometimes sometimes things sit and mull, and then and then when they come out later, when it's right, they come out better. I know, but I used to be so prolific. And I think about that and it gets me down and I get depressed about it because it's like for the last two years and I mean it really has a very large part of the last relationship I was in and the one before that um, where they were both very abusive, not very good relationships. Um, it kind of silenced me in many ways and in real ways where one of them told me to just be quiet all the time. Well, told me to shut the F up mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all the time, constantly. Um, so I felt like I couldn't really sing anything. And that's been a big problem. And I keep lately trying to come back from that. Mm-hmm. But I keep having weird flashbacks of it. And it's just like, I keep hearing him say, shut the F up. It's really put me in a rut, you know? So you're a very... Uh emotional writer i feel yeah. like your lyrics are definitely based in your life and they're very personal mm-hmm. and that that rawness is part of why it's so connective mm-hmm. with other people um and well i'll just say for myself i find sometimes that when i'm going through the trauma of something it's really hard for me to write during that period it of time is. and yes. that when it really comes out in a good form, it's kind of like after a certain amount of time has gone by. Is that the same and for that's you? That's what do you, I want to do. That's what I'm, you I'm do. slowly getting there because uh-huh. during the time, I always felt like I had to be really quiet. Yeah. I would just go into the living room while he was in the bedroom doing whatever he's doing. And I would just sit in the bedroom or living room and just basically <laughs> drink and watch Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt like I couldn't do anything. And then after we broke up, I started singing again. And I didn't realize how rusty my voice was, you know? And then so now I want to get to that place that you were saying where it's like I want to write about it, but I can't articulate it yet. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you're almost like not ready. Yeah. It's like so raw still. Like even today I got upset about it, Mm -hmm. you know, because I saw I was going through like pictures and stuff and like I saw him. What you doing that for? I know. Well, because that's not a good idea. Because my iPhone said it was full. (laughs) So I had to, like, oh. delete pictures. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. So, you know, but I do want to get to that place. And I made a list of song. I Actually, this is the first time I ever did this. I made a list of songs that I want to write. Mm, like topics. Yes, mm-hmm. topics. Because I know they're in here. Mm-hmm. I just can't get it out yet. And I want, like, songs about cheating. I want songs about abusiveness. Mm-hmm. I want songs about me being abusive mm-hmm. in a way. So since you're kind of also making flip books and doing these other art forms, like maybe it would be good to just enjoy putting some of the stories into that kind of this other art form until the music comes back to you. I'm trying because I I have a lot of people around me saying like, when are you coming out with a new album? Like it's been, I didn't come out with, I mean, my last album was in May of, what was it? 
um, with Lady. Lady. Which was a couple May, years ago. Yeah, 2000. I don't know what year is it now. Like, is it 18? <laughs> I think that was 2016, maybe. Was it? God. May 12th, um, 2016. That's been a long time. Yeah, so. It's actually, to me, that's not a long time. But to me, it is because I am, I used to write a song every day. Yeah. I used to be, like now, you say, prolific. I used to just get it out of my head and now it's all just like stored in my head and I'm going crazy. Yeah. Now, when you wrote a song every day, how much variability across these songs? Like sometimes I feel like because I have things that I'm always trying to like sort my way through artfully and sometimes I get so sick. I'm just writing about the same goddamn mm-hmm. thing again. Same. Yes. And when am I going to be done right. exactly. writing about this thing? Exactly. Maybe like I don't want write about being heartbroken anymore. I want to <laughs> yeah. write about being hit or being yeah. abused or whatever. I don't want to do that anymore. Cheated on. Like mm-hmm. I don't care anymore. Just get over it. <laughs> like how do you feel about performing those songs now? You know what? I still like performing them because I know that they're going to help other people. Yeah. And that's the thing. Yeah, and actually that's something that's sort of pops up across all the different like if you yeah. start researching you online like I did before the show. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of the things that come up thematically over that is that you one of your motivations for your performance and putting out your music is to help other people. Yeah. By showing how you feel about something mm-hmm. and hoping that someone else can resonate with that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Which is great. Definitely. And I've gone backlash about that as well. Oh, like what fi- What kind? Well, it's just like a few people in this scene have told me to stop talking about mental health and have stopped, have told me to stop, you know, being so open about stuff, um, which has really bothered me. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to talk about it on a public forum because I'm sick and tired of it. I'm sick and tired of people telling me to be like somebody else. Like I'm tired and sick and tired of people telling me to stop talking about panic attacks, stop talking about anxiety, stop talking about depression and everything because it makes them uncomfortable. I had one person who's actually very favorable in this scene tell me that if I keep talking about it, it's going to make me look bad. And I was just like, well, I've gotten some messages from strangers who've come to my shows and tell me that it's helped them. Mm -hmm. Knowing that there is a person who's willing to be up on stage and talking about this stuff. That's also what's been holding me back from writing a lot of stuff because I still have that weird – I have all these voices in my head from people in the scene mm-hmm. who have been telling me to be quiet basically. Yeah. Well, so, so sometimes other people tell you things for their own reasons. Yeah, exactly. Some people might have your best interest in mind, but it's really hard to, to know whether that's true or not. Some people really only have their best interest in mind. Exactly. Like they can sell you better if exactly. you're like this other way. Exactly. They can't sell you. They cannot sell you as easily if you're like a downer. Mm-hmm. Or they are. I it, get that. Or it could be they're uncomfortable because it's a I downer. Or it could be um, any variety of, mm-hmm. of reasons. Um, you know, like if maybe their advice is they really want to see you break out. Mm-hmm. And they just really think this is the thing that's preventing the breakout. I totally understand that. But the thing is, is that, you know, I have basically two bands right now, myself and someone or a band with my producer, Dave Heideck, um, called The Worthy Ghosts. Mm -hmm. And so my own music, as we all know, is like folk acoustic stuff, angsty 
bullshit. Um, <laughs> and then my stuff with Dave Heideck is very, you know, it's got, it's more on the pop spectrum. But we, the lyrics are the same, basically. Uh-huh. So it's like, I'm not going to change right. for you. Right. I think it's No matter really Im- what kind of music I play. Yeah, I think it's really important that you do what you feel resonates with yourself mm-hmm. um, because that's going to be what's one of the key elements of your music is the authenticity. Mm-hmm. Like, it really feels authentic. It really mm-hmm. feels like I'm – everyone's so quiet when they watch mm-hmm. because they can tell there's a special thing going on where your chest is flayed open and mm-hmm. they're looking at your heart and we're all getting the chance to see that and that's exactly. like – so unusual and really striking and um, really special. And everyone just automatically knows, you know, behave, be reverent, like be thankful Mm -hmm. and appreciate this. And, um, and it's super cool. And if you start catering to what other people say or think, or if you listen to those voices, like you're going to lose that. That's the thing you need to keep. Yeah. Cause it feels so good to help other people. And I don't want to silence myself because I may make other people feel uncomfortable about themselves, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm tired of it. I've been silenced mm-hmm. for way too long. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm going to do. And so I'm trying to come back and do that more. And my next album may be, make people feel really uncomfortable. Uh-huh. But it's going to sound pretty anyway. <laughs> of course it will. It definitely will. Um. So... So I guess that kind of ties into a question I have about um, sort of in this vein of like uh, mental health and um, trauma and things. Mm -hmm. Do you personally find that they're more of a a boon or a hindrance because because, uh, they are like the subject matter Mm -hmm. and that's what resonates with people, but then also – and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but probably sometimes just having to endure that in your own being might hinder you sometimes in the either by cutting creativity or mm-hmm. making it hard to go out and connect and mm-hmm. network and the other kinds of things that, you know, it's unfortunate that we have to do a lot of available rubbing mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. to get places mm-hmm. um, to play our music in front of people and things like that. Let me tell you this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let me tell you this. This coming out to this podcast was the first time I got out of bed. Today. Today. Oh wow. I've been in de- in a very depressive state. I don't know why, but yeah, no. I've definitely been in a creative slump due to that. Like just depression and I mean, like I said, I feel a little bit squashed by people in the scene lately. Uh, not lately, but for years, um, at least three years. And so I don't feel like I can go. I don't want to go out. I don't want, I don't have the energy to go out and talk to people, you know, and pretend that I'm okay. <laughs> you know, I just, yeah. just want to curl up in a ball and watch Netflix and eat stupid chips and like (laughs) just eat food that's bad for me and like i don't know but i don't do that i try not to do that but that's where i'm at basically do you you go um do you go to therapists and how do you feel about psychiatric i think it's good stuff like that um i was in a program 
which was really helpful at Western Psych, actually, which I don't feel weird about admitting. Um, and they're very helpful. Their program is excellent. Um, but then I lost my health care due to I had to renew it and I got a raise. So now it's in question if I'm going to continue. I don't know. So I'm still waiting on that. But I really loved it when I was there, which is weird to say because I first got into or not first got into, but I was forced into therapy when I was 16 because I got uh, suspended from school and for cutting because uh. um, they said I was a danger to everyone else. And I was like, what about Self me? Cut- Self-cutting <laughs> is a danger to others. Yes. Because that's like, an example for others. Me? Like, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but I guess whatever. So uh, that's when I first got into therapy. Or, yeah, I had to go to a therapist. And, um, you know, it was just like formality at that point. But mm-hmm. then when I moved here seven years ago, I decided, yeah, maybe I do need to see somebody. So I saw this excellent woman. Um, and she really was so helpful. Like I was lucky. And uh, yeah, she taught me a lot of tools. And so I have like a whole toolbox from her. But yeah, so I do believe in therapy. Very much so. At Western Psych, it was in a group therapy, mm-hmm. which I loved. Um, and I graduated from it as well, uh, before I lost my health care. But I was still... I was going to go into another group, so I'm kind of sad about that. So I'm still trying to find out what I can do about that. But I do believe in therapy. Pills, mm-hmm. on the other hand, I'm a little nervous of. Just yeah. because I've been on them before. I don't like side effects. Mm-hmm. I don't like – I'm more of like a natural person. I want natural things. I want plant-based things. Sure. And, you know, I mean, that might mean, like, you know, things that aren't legal yet, but that's not. Um, but, Helps a lot of people. Yeah. But, like, also, like, I mean, you can get CBD oil here. Um, but I don't know. I just want to – I like – I just – I don't know. I don't like chemicals. And so that kind of stuff scared me. And when I was on them, I didn't feel good. I felt mm-hmm. scared. And I felt when I got off them – I actually went off a pill and don't ever do this. I went off a pill, cold turkey, uh-huh. after taking it for weeks. And that was like, whew, my brain felt like it flipped upside down. Wow, really? It was crazy. I was like hiding. And it was like a ball in the corner of someone's room <laughs> for like days. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm into therapy. Totally. Mm-hmm. Not so much into pills. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so... You mentioned Dave Heideck earlier. Mm, yeah. So he, you were, he's like your producer. Mm-hmm. He did the production on your on Lady. EP, Lady, yeah. um, at Tree Lady. Mm-hmm. And um, I just kind of was curious about the process of hooking up with a producer like that and sure. how much he influences what you did on that EP. Sure. And what, I mean, I guess you're collaborating with him now. Mm-hmm. So you must really resonate. Yeah, with, I mean, with his creativity. I'm trying to even think how we. It's like one of those friendships where, like, you're like, "How the hell did we meet?" Yeah. Wait. Um, but we met while I was in, and it might have been through my old bandmate guy, who mm-hmm. I was with in Broken Fences. So, I mean, I think he might have found True Lady. To be honest with you, <laughs> um, Guy Russo. I'm pretty sure he's still playing music somewhere. Mm-hmm. But, um, 
yeah, we met and Dave and I, I think just, we just stuck. Like even after Broken Fences broke up, Dave really just like kept hope in me. And he's just become such a good friend um, right now, temporarily. I think he's my neighbor uh-huh. up in Charlesburg. Um, and yeah, he's just he's just never lost faith in me, which is really nice. And so when he when we talk about projects, you know, because I'm like one of those artists who I want complete control. Mm-hmm. I want to know every sound. I want to figure out every note and whatever. He totally takes that into regard. And he never, he adds his opinion for sure. Um, and he'll add, actually, Dave will add about three opinions mm-hmm. at once. And then you'll be like, well, that sounds good, but what about this? And then we'll just kind of like divvy it off and then compromise somewhere in the middle. So he's super easy to work with. I think that, yeah, I think that he's a he's a lifelong friend. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's good to find a good collaborator. So now you guys have a musical project together. Mm-hmm. Can you repeat the name of it? Yes, I will, because we <sighs> definitely need to take this off the road. Worthy Ghosts. Worthy The worthy ghost. The worthy (laughs) ghost. The most worthy of ghosts. Yes, the worthiest. Um, So, are have you played shows? We haven't because he. Well, the thing about Dave is that he takes five hundred years to take (laughs) to make his own album. He's very nitpicky, (laughs) perfectionist. He is, but it's it's great because it's like it sounds amazing. Yeah, when he is like that, so it's like you can't be mad about it. Yeah, we did record some stuff a few years ago, um, but we've been still talking about doing it. Like, it's still ongoing, uh-huh. and he wants to keep – he's such a perfectionist. Sometimes I just want to bash him on the head with, like, a mallet because <laughs> – <laughs> you hear that, Dave? Finish this project. Um, oh, man. Yeah, so uh, – no, it's great. I can't wait till everyone hears it. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's super dancey. Really? Yeah. Cool. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. Dancy, but with depressive lyrics. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Of course. Um, so are you the main lyricist for that then too? Uh, both of us are. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I've written a lot of the lyrics, but he's written a bunch. So, sorry. So he's written a bunch. Um, and are there like drums and stuff? Mm-hmm. He's played drums. He actually did all, so it's all electronic. Okay. Um. And then when we do it live, I might do like some synth stuff mm-hmm. or some p- computerized stuff live and sing with mm-hmm. him while he – I'm not sure if he's going to play drums or not, but – Are you also playing guitar? No, not oh. in this band. Not in this band. Is that a nice break for you? Yes. <laughs> and that's why I'm like, Dave, can we just do this? I want this. I want to yeah. wear gold and just like shine. <laughs> you want to do the front lady thing. <laughs> The high kicks. I can tell you it's pretty fun. Exactly. It's pretty fun. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, like it's Tired of playing. My fingers are tired. Yeah. Well, you are a really wonderful player. (laughs) Thank you. So I... I got to learn more though. I need new chords. You need new chords? Are you stuck in a chord rut too? stuck in a chord rut. Oh, man. Stuck in a chord rut. There's always something to learn though, isn't there? There is. There is. And I just did this... um, I had to learn the Mr. Rogers... uh, Neighborhood song? Yeah. 
did not realize. Is it complicated? How many complicated chords were in that song? <laughs> I thought it was going to be easy. I thought it was like a C, G, whatever. And no, it's not. It's wow. like, I can't even, I don't even know what the chords are. They are, I mean, I could play them. weird, wacky chords. I, just, I don't know what they're called. <laughs> um, I bet the composer of that lives in Pittsburgh. I'm sure. If they're I'm sure. still alive. I think they might be. We should find that person. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Like, what like, the heck what did the you heck, write that far? <laughs> exactly. Because I actually wanted to ask you about your voice because it's so beautiful mm. and like you get just this feeling of fragility in it, you know, and you're just like, it's like it can break, you know, but it won't. It's strong mm-hmm. and impenetrable yet also like uh, about to fall apart at any second. Basically. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> metaphors, metaphors. Yeah. Um, Reality. <laughs> so did you ever do any vocal coaching for yourself or is just all your natural? I, well, I, well, okay, wait. I've never done professional vocal coaching, but I do. It wasn't natural at the same time because I practiced to the radio mm-hmm. and I practiced my vocal. I like to say my vocal teachers were – Nate O'Connor mm-hmm. and Dolores O'Riden. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they were the, my true friends. I mm-hmm. used to pretend that I was in a band. Actually, I have all the harmonies and extra harmonies that aren't even on the album of the Cranberries. And I used to pretend I had this whole storyline where I was part of the band and her Dolores and I were best friends. And this was like when I I must have listened to them when I'm trying to remember. I saw them in concert first when I was I want to say fifteen or fourteen is when I saw them in concert first. So I got into them pretty early on, maybe when I was twelve. Mm. Um and just like yeah, she taught me how to sing. Like, I know, like, I remember when I first started going to open mics, like, I would get a lot of comparisons to her. Mm. And I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> to Dolores or Sinead? Um, To both, but more Dolores. Um, it's because I was like, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm singing just like her, yeah. <laughs> you know? like that's, Yeah, you're, like, emulating her. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's what I was doing. Um, well, you must have been very sad when she... I was really sad. Yeah. I was really sad. I was in disbelief. My dad called me. Oh, my dad called me because he knew out of the blue. And like my dad calls me all the time, but like he's like having a friendly conversation with me or whatever, and then all of a sudden he says <clears throat> that Dolores died. I don't know if he like threw it in the conversation like super quick, just because it might he knew it would be yeah. uncomfortable. But like, oh man. I'm still not over it. I can't believe it. Yeah. I can't believe that she's yeah, gone. she's so young. Yeah. And it just doesn't make any sense. And I haven't really heard anything of why she died. Um, but, yeah, it kind of feels weird because I had this whole story in my head growing up when I was young, like in my bedroom, of me singing these concerts with her and like I have a really big imagination I could make anything come to life which is very scary in the shower I might say (laughs) um but when I was younger 
had this whole story where her and I were best friends and we were singing and I had all these harmonies to every single song and I got sick and I died. Oh. Yeah. Like the story was that I died and we had this final show together before I died because I had like this terminal illness so or you whatever. Knew. You knew you were going to die. Knew. Yeah. And then I died and we had this show and then it was that. And so it's really weird for me to even think because I did this over and over, mm-hmm. like over and over. So it's really weird for me to think that she's gone. Yeah. Like I'm holding it in, but I'm not going to cry on this podcast. <laughs> but it is very strange. It is very strange for her to be not on this planet anymore. And I, I think that might have to do something with the rut that I'm in. It could To be, be honest with yeah. you. Um, I do think that that is a possibility. Well, because yeah. it's our- like, why bother? Yeah, because because why? I don't know. I mean, she had issues too. She mm-hmm. she dealt with anorexia, which is something I deal with as well. Um, she dealt with depression, anxiety. I'm pretty sure, and then she just died. When she was in her 40s. And it was like, okay. And it came so soon. Well, to me, it came so soon after, you know, Lincoln Park. Hmm. You know. And I was just like, Chester. Okay. First it was Chester. And then it was Dolores. And it was just like me thinking, like, this is how people felt when Kurt Cobain died. Hmm. And I'm just like sitting here like a lump. Being like, well, I have this depression and anxiety and anorexia and stuff like that. And, like, you know, these are people I looked up to. Mm -hmm. I love Chester. I love Dolores. I like Dolores more. But I I learned to love Chester later and then felt like it was too late to perfectly give him love. But, Man, it's just very, very strange. But anyway, yeah, that was the vocal techniques that I learned. Uh-huh. So, so. Uh, a prior guest on our show, Melanie Stangle, once talked about writer's block and techniques that she's learned about it. She's a music journalist, but I feel like this really yeah. applies to everything. I know um, her. Yeah, she's yeah, very yeah, nice. Yeah. She's, yeah, she's very great. nice lady. <laughs> yeah. Um, so her, her statement that I'm going to repeat now is um, to write about the wall. Mm. And writing about the wall helps get past the wall. And writing about the wall in this case for you could be writing about this relationship with um, with Dolores and your music because it goes all the way back to the beginning of your music, you know. And if you if you write about that, maybe you'll find your way through. And and I want to. I definitely it's like want you to. can carry the torch of Chester and Dolores, you know, and you like pick it yeah. up, right? Like, I mean, I definitely want to. I painted a picture of Chester first, and this was after I found out that Dolores had died, which still, every time I say it, I feel so bizarre saying it. it doesn't feel real. It's almost like I knew her so well. You know, it's like so well, you stupid had an to intimate, say. You had an intimate relationship with yeah, her. I didn't actually know her. So it's like bizarre. Like, okay, to put this in perspective, like I actually met Sinead O'Connor. Oh, yeah? You know, we like, and I was like had a 
a song on her website for a month. How did that come to happen? Um, I did this. I I covered. I think it was when I was like sixteen or something. But I covered her um, "Black Boys on Moped" song, and I don't know. I guess her manager. I used to be in contact with her manager somehow. Her, I don't know. Even know how it really happened at this point. I'm actually forgetting. Um, <laughs> that's what don't do that's... drugs. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have never done drugs. It's probably because um, you're so you had so many interesting things happen musically yeah. that you 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 forget the initial. But my song, but they like picked my song to go on there for a month, and then I met her at a signing in New York City, mm. and she was so shy, and I was so shy, we didn't even talk. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I don't know, like. The other stuff, yeah, it's very bizarre. And it's strange because, I mean, Sinead O'Connor, for example, you know, has publicly said that she has struggled with anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts and even disappeared for a while, you know. Um, But she's still around. And then all of a sudden Dolores dies and it's just like, okay. Yeah, it's very sad. What? So... But I I think it's really cool that you actually were on Sinead O'Connor's site for a little bit. Yeah. That's really neat. And um, you've also had placements through Broken Fences mm-hmm. on TV shows. Yeah. And actually, I watched the little scene on Flashpoint today, <laughs> and I cried. Is even. that the one where somebody dies? Or looks, yeah, someone's like somebody's about to, to die. About to die. And, and I they think, say, I love you or whatever it is. Yeah, the guy says, I love you. And she's like... Thumbs up. Yeah. And, um, and, and, you know, with her like little exactly. oxygen mask on. Right, 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 right. right. And, oh uh, but your song is underneath it and your voice is underneath it. And it's like, it totally is perfect for it. And I totally cried. And, <laughs> uh, like, cause I, I don't know anything about this show. Sure. Or this scene. Yeah. I just had extrapolated a couple things, but like the song plus it really was like, what? I cried. And I was like, that was so effective. So effective. So what's it like for you? Oh, first of all, how did, did you get placements like that? And second of all, how does it feel to hear yourself in these contexts? Because also it was on The Young and the Restless. Yeah, Young and the Restless a million times. I'll tell you about that in a second. That was funny. Um, but no, for uh, the way I got the placement was through Brad Yoder, actually. Oh, okay. um, he was working with a licensing company out in L.A., uh-huh. And he recommended Broken Fences to them. And I had written the Wait song that was on that show. Mm-hmm. And they liked it. So they picked it up and they said, okay, well, we're going to use it for this scene. And it was actually Guy and I watched it on YouTube. We didn't watch it live. But, yeah, it was weird. It was surreal. But you know what? It was funny. I think that clip was funny, and what I remember us being surreal about was the Young and the Restless clip, mm. because that was live, because we had to turn on the TV and watch that, because it's mm. like a daytime thing or whatever. Yeah. Um. So that was surreal. Right, because you're, like, you're just like, watching the episode, and you're in with the characters, and right. you're like, something's and like, going on, minute, and then suddenly... <laughs> yeah, it's like, wait. Suddenly it's you. And you're like, oh, Guy and I were, I'm pretty sure Guy and I were just like, looked at each other like, no. <laughs> Was that the, did that happen first before the, um, which one came first? The, 
Um, other one came first. Flashpoint Flashpoint came first. Yeah. And then, because actually Young and the Restless still uses it to this day. Really? So (laughs) you guys get royalty checks a little bit? Sometimes. It's, it's gotten, it's gone down a lot. (laughs) Chapter 15 cents comes in the mail. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But we did have a funny moment where it was just like maybe the third time they used their song. Uh And it was the wait song where it was like, of course, somebody went into a coma. Uh Uh-huh. And... You know, the woman went into a coma, and the guy who was married or whatever came, and this was his girlfriend, came into the hospital, and the only way she would respond to anything was if she heard our song. Wow. So we actually got written into the storyline, which was bizarre, and that's when Guy and I were just like... Laughing. Yeah, I mean, it was awesome, but we were just like, oh my god. That's so great. I love that. I love that a lot. Okay, so let's talk about some female stuff. Sure. We've talked about it a little bit already, but, you know. I'm a female. You're, I'm a female, I think. too. It I'm happens sure. to be we're recording this on International Women's Day. Yeah, it's pretty great. Women are awesome. We love them. We are them. Um, so I have a vagina. <laughs> Vagina. I have one. Vagina. I've got one. I've got one. How about you, Tara? How about you, Tara? Yeah. You got one? Tara reports positive. Yeah. Positive on vagina having. Mm. This is a vagina run show. (laughs) All right. In case anyone was wondering Mm. or doubtful or curious. Yeah, I got the V. Yeah. (laughs) We use them to set up the microphones and everything. It's wild. (laughs) It's crazy how much (laughs) stuff you could do with this thing. Dude. It's like prehensile. No, that's really? weird. That's that's crossing the line. It's like a hand. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> um, so this is a hard to ask question. I think I I don't know how to articulate this exactly. Bomb it out. So I'm just man. gonna try try to try to ask this in a way that is understandable. So a lot of some well not a lot well some of your stories are like tied to men in a lot of examples like. The guitar. Unfortunately. Yeah. So the guitar was like a crush to a guitar. And then like, um, I mean, probably a lot of your music is about that and you're feeling suppression and things like that. And um, I think that my question is, is like, where does it come from this, um, this susceptibility to do this way of the man? Your question is, am I gay? No. It's not. no. And the question or the answer is yes. Are you gay? <laughs> I am bi. Are you? Yes. Oh. Yeah, I had a girlfriend. Oh, Her I name didn't was know that. Jamie Lee. Oh. But Curtis. it wasn't the famous one. Oh, one. <laughs> Yes. I was wondering if it was like a Dolores thing. No. A real Jamie Lee. There was a real real Jamie Lee. There was a real Jamie Lee. I actually was. I actually wasn't asking if you were gay. I was. uh, I was thinking you were like super, super, super straight. You're out. All right. I've been out. I mean, not a lot of people. know I'm learning this. is new for me. I didn't find this on the internet. (laughs) I know. Well, it's not really like out there at all. I mean, it's only if you get really like close to me that you find out. I guess. Yeah. Um, so do, do you have songs of, about women and stuff too? Or is it like just basically? I actually do have a song about her. Uh-huh. I mean, that was a crazy relationship. Uh-huh. Good Lord. Yeah. But I mean, I, I guess, so I guess that in general, my question is more about the relationships, mm-hmm. right? Like relationships really are driving a lot of yeah. your emotional I, I, sphere. I think it's because I'm a romantic 
You're romantic. I'm a super romantic. Mm-hmm. I like uh, walks on the beach. <laughs> I like pina coladas. Candles. <laughs> uh, no, it's true, though. I do like that stuff. I mean, I am I'm romantic. I like soft gestures. Mm-hmm. And I like that kind of stuff. I just don't attract those people, you oh. know. Yeah. And is that um, – why do you think that is? Well, through therapy. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think I've realized that um, I don't attract those people because – that's not what I give out. Uh-huh. And I know that's what a lot of people say is like, you have to give out what you want. It's like, uh-huh. but it's kind of true. I mean, I give out this kind of like self-destructive behavior persona where, you know, it's like, I don't know. I don't want to say like something about me says, call me names, like hit hit me or call me all these things and do bad things to me but i might i just might because i want to do that to myself mm. and i think that has a large part of it um yeah so i understand that like yeah. i feel like for myself i have trouble setting boundaries mm-hmm. with other people and it's got a lot to do with my own self-esteem about what i think i deserve or don't deserve right and there we are. so then i wind up attracting people who will like take advantage of mm-hmm. that aspect of my personality exactly and um and it's it's so much about me representing myself mm-hmm. in that inside of that context and it's like in other locations of my life i can do it like you can do it in music you're like i need to know every single note i need to be in charge of this and i need to control that mm-hmm. and like con- like having control over certain things is is an element of your personality but then, yeah. like, in that facet, once you're in that Definitely. little domain, it's, like, not as present. Exactly. And I'm I'm definitely a caregiver. Mm-hmm. I've realized that through therapy and I've realized that through just myself, whatever, um, and through my relationship with friends and through uh, boyfriends and girlfriends and just realizing what I do for these people. Like, I am a caregiver I do care. I put people before myself. Mm-hmm. I put them so far in front of myself that I'll do anything for them. I mean, I will do anything. And then there comes a point where I feel like I want to get taken care of. Like, mm-hmm. it it just, I can't do it anymore at one point. And so then to them, I think I become mean. And maybe I do become mean. I probably become mean. Um, where it seems like I'm just frustrated. Mm-hmm. Do you think some of your caregiving comes from like a perception about what women are supposed to be like? Um, you mean like being in the kitchen and stuff? Yeah, and like um, doing doing the darning of the like your some of your pastimes even are, are like you know crocheting and yeah. cross stitch and stuff like that. Maybe a little bit. The th- weird thing about that is, and I've I've notice about about myself okay so i was grow i grew up on um basically black and white movies and english sitcoms mm-hmm. um my parents had me when they're in their 40s so you know i didn't grow up on nickelodeon i didn't grow up on a lot of things that my generation grew up on and i realized that and that's fine like i really have no problem with that um but i am very old school Mm-hmm. I'm super old school, and I don't know if that probably comes from 
you know, the movies I watched and stuff like Thin Man and like, you know, Betty Davis movies and stuff and um, that kind of stuff. But I definitely, I don't think that I, I'm in a weird crossroads because I, I don't want to, I love, I, this sucks. I, I love being in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Cooking is actually, takes away a lot of anxiety from me. I love cooking. I'd rather cook like 500 meals for somebody in one day than do anything else. And that would help me. Um, like it, it makes me feel better mm-hmm. knowing that I can provide a meal for somebody. I love every time I go home, I cook for them. I cook a big dinner and it just makes me feel so good. Like I love being in the kitchen. So, and then I love knitting. I love sewing. And yeah, it's all these, I'm super, and I'm super monogamous, super monogamous. I mean, I know like nowadays I hear all about like, you know, polyamorous or whatever is stuff like that. Monogamous. And that's totally fine. Like, I don't care what you're into. It's no matter to me. Um, I just know for myself, I am a one person person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. That's, I am super old school. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that comes from. Maybe my fam, my parents, maybe movies that they brought me up on. Um, I mean, I don't feel bad about it. Right. Um, But so it's weird because it's also in the times that we're living, you know, we hear all about and we keep seeing stuff about, you know, women's rights and stuff. And, you know, I'm like all about it. You know, I want that. I want that. I want more attention. I want equality. I want, you know, rights. I don't don't want people to – I don't want the fucking government to – control my body i want to keep my birth control yeah i don't want to have to be worried about that you know i don't want the president tell me what to do with my p- vagina like i don't it's uncomfortable it's really uncomfortable so i just like get like and that might have something to do with it's like the privacy i might be like in the 50s you know my mind somewhere is in the 50s hmm. in the sense of being like, leave me alone, you know, because I think women in the 50s had somewhat of a thing where they were just like, they knew something was up, but they just didn't have a voice. But now that we have a voice, you know, it's uncomfortable, but it's, I almost wanted to say it was protected, but it's not protected. Your voice? Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, like, it's... It's not protected. It's not protected. And but it's important. Yeah, it's, like, really, really easy. This is my body. Yeah, it's really easy for your agency to be taken away, and it can be as simple as something your partner says to you mm-hmm. or something, like, a male colleague says to you, anyone with authority. It's really easy to And exert. that's happened to all of us more than we want to say. Yeah, and sometimes in ways we don't even recognize when it's happening. No, you know? until it's too late. And then we get home and we're just like, why do I feel weird? Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's because this thing got said to me. <laughs> yeah, if you, even, if you even think of it. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's it takes a lot for me to become aware 
that something weird is going on. Yeah. I don't think of it till later. And then, I, and then I've already responded, though. Mm-hmm. And my response to it at oh, the yeah. time was all, already like, you know, propagating something. Sure. And then I'm screwed already. Yeah. How does it work? And then later I'm like, no, I want to take it back. Right. <laughs> you can't. All you can do is exactly. try to do better next time, you know. Well, but yeah, I mean, that's just to show how precious. Or just punch them in the balls. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever punched anyone in the balls? Unfortunately, no. Yeah, me neither. So let's talk about the piece that you brought. Okay. So you're actually going to play something brand new. I am. Tell me about this song. Like, so it's brand new, right? This is a brand new song. Is this not been recorded? Is this not been even heard by anyone? Wow. Is Except this, for one person. Is this the song you wrote this year so far? Yes. Wow, wow. Special. And tell me about how it came to exist. Where were you? What, what do you? Where is it that you write? How do you start with your guitar parts first and then fill in the lyrics? How does it work? Um, well, lately, the only place that I've written that I feel comfortable in my apartment is the living room. Mm-hmm. And that's only because I felt kind of subjected to my living room. In my last relationship, I didn't feel comfortable going into the bedroom. Um, and I had to be really quiet. So I always, I kind of made a nest in the living room. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'd use the kitchen, so, but I kind of stopped eating and stuff like that. And, you know, use the bathroom, whatever. But um, the living room was my home. Mm-hmm. And so that's primarily where I still feel comfortable writing stuff. Hopefully that will change. But I wrote this song in the living room. And mm-hmm. I don't have a couch. I just have a futon on the floor still. I'm living very cheaply. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, you know, because at the time, like when he moved out, I, you know, the couch was gone and the bed was gone and all I had was this mattress. So this futon mattress. So I kind of wrote this song sitting on there. <laughs> and what is it about? Um, It's basically about that time. Do you do a punk scream in this song? I might. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what will happen when I sing this live. Yeah, I mean, I, that's the thing. I don't know what happens. You know, this is the first time. I mean, the only time I've sung this song is in the living room. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so who knows what's going to happen here. And it's happened many different times while I was singing in the living room. I've done it quiet. I've done it soft. Or, I mean, louder. I'm just trying to figure out, like, what it sounds good as. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. But the thing is, with my live stuff, it always changes. So, like, I could sing this song tonight like one way and then tomorrow I could go I don't know say there was an open mic or whatever I could like sing something there and it would be totally different so do you mean that from performance to performance of the same song it'll change or do you mean like between when you're privately doing it and then when you launch it song to song like even if it's recorded like anything on my last EP or Mm -hmm. any record that I've ever put out um, if I sing the song it's going to sound different. Yeah. And that's something that I like doing live shows with where it sounds, I don't want it to sound the same. Mm-hmm. So I like that. It's like whatever emotion you're feeling at the moment. Right. You know, I think that's important. 
You know, I don't like that very cookie cutter thing, which is what we had in Broken Fences, where every show was like cookie cutter and he would get mad if I like, you know, saying out of, like if I went all like, mm, like or whatever, yeah. you know, like went off key, not key, but like if you were feeling emotion. It. Yeah. Yeah. If I was feeling it, like it had to be the same. Like I'm not classical. Right. I am folk. I'm definitely folk. Uh-huh. Meaning that and punk the tie to the emotion yeah is is what makes it folk and folk punk folk I mean punk. Yeah. we're just gonna wrap it around because it, yeah totally I mean that's what folk folk and punk are the same I mean they both are feelings and emotions written into a song hmm. you know it just might be played differently the same things there mm-hmm. and that's why folk punk goes together so well. And I think from now on, I might say that I'm that instead of indie because I just don't know really what indie means anymore. Oh, yeah. That totally doesn't (laughs) mean anything anymore. It's just weird. So folk punk, I mean, they the motions, you can just scream, you be quiet. You can do whatever you want in those. Yeah, it's a very, that would be a very... There's really no rule book. Freeing... Description, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that would be very. I mean, I feel like even liberating. with rock, there's a rule book. Mm-hmm. Like there's, I don't want to be in that rule book of rock. Yeah, no, thank you. I'm not a rock band. I'm not a rock band. I'm a folk. You're breaking punk. out in all ways. <laughs> you're in a little egg and you're pecking your way. I'm pecking. I'm a little woodpecker. Yeah, peck, peck. <laughs> exactly. A little hummingbird. Looking for that honey. Oh. <laughs> I love that. it. Yes, exactly. So, you know. You know, and all those flowers just look like vaginas. Oh, no. Just bringing it up back in. You know. Vagina. And we all love vaginas. We all want to stick that tongue in. <laughs> Where are we going? Is that too much? No. Hey. God, no. Whatever. No. Whatever. Hey, if the time's right. Time's right. If it floats your boat, all those things. Hey, you know, the girl comes up to me. She's nice. Yeah. I'm there. You do it. Hell yeah. It's just all about chemistry. It is all about chemistry. about anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is all about chemistry. It is. You got to have that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's hear your song. What is it called? Oh. Do you have a name for it yet? Ooh, is it I song don't. It doesn't have a name. This song doesn't have a name, but I can come. Well, I can come up with a name, maybe. If you see a title during the song, okay, or if anyone sees a title during the song, well, uh, I'm willing to hear it out. Well, I am the worst when it comes to naming my songs. Mm. I'm just like, I mean, Dave knows this too. Where it's like, okay, you just gotta come up with something, and I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know, lady. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, they, like I don't know, I don't know. Like, what do you want from me? I hate naming songs, really do. Okay, well, we'll try to come up with a name for your song while you're playing it. All right, and that um, sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> so here is no name yet song, Morgan Rita, brand new. <clears throat> What do you want, baby? 
my mind's a turning Do you believe in love? Or do you believe in her? It seems like everyone believes in themselves
Magical as that? always. <laughs> it's like that Bjork uh, line about a shiver down my spine. <laughs> That's it's just so beautiful. Oh, how did it feel? It felt good. It felt good to sing that. Um, I definitely remember now singing it of when I played it or when I wrote it rather. Um, I wrote it after. Uh, I guess I seem kind of pathetic at this point, but you know, I do like famous people. Um, you like what? Famous people. Famous people. And well, not all. Well, a lot of famous people, but like Dolores and Chester. I wrote this after listening to a Chester Bennington song or Lincoln Park song, rather. Um, and I didn't realize that until right now. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. Because hmm. I think I sent you a playlist where I just, it was one of his songs, and I just kept listening to it over and over and over after he died. Mm-hmm. And I just, it just got in me. Like and, a drought, and it came, <laughs> like and a it, mud. <laughs> then it came out in the form of that song? I guess so. I guess so. I wanted to write something that, I mean, I usually write things that are pretty specific to issues mm-hmm. of the mind. Um, but I wanted to write something that was more significant. I actually kind of, to be honest with you, um, looking at it now and after singing it to you too, um, I actually realized that this song, I wrote it as if it was the last song I was going to play. Hmm. Yeah, so I I think about that a lot. Like I don't... Like it's the last song you're ever going to write? Yeah. Yeah. Last song I'm ever going to write. Last song I'm ever gonna do. So maybe you could call it last song or for Chester. Yeah, maybe we'll just call it Chester. Call it Chester. <laughs> and people will be like, why? Who's Chester? <laughs> Who's Chester? Who's Chester? <laughs> that could be a nice tribute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That'd be nice. I don't know. I didn't write it because of him. I just, I wrote, I mean, all these words are myself. Right. But I think he definitely helped. <laughs> the spirit Thanks of Chester. Chester. <laughs> the spirit of Chester yeah. was moving you. Yeah. Even though it's not about him. No. But definitely, he definitely, definitely. helped. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, it was really beautiful. Thank you. And uh, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Yeah. It's really, <laughs> it's um, very special to be the first two human Hell beings yeah. to hear. Now I finally have it recorded. I was going to ask you about motivation because you have this blog post from like 2013 or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. Motivation. I'm going to read what you wrote to you in case it injects you with a last hear. bit of motivation since we have been discussing sure. the the block. Sure. So just as we close, I'm going to remind you of your own wisdom here. Motivation. What is motivation? Why does it disappear so quickly? Why does it come crashing into one's mind and you can't get things done fast enough, like a manic state with doubt? 
Don't lose it, the muses say to keep going, keep going. Fight to get ahead. What makes you motivated? Sometimes a good record helps motivate me. Beck's new album is doing that. Just blown away by him every time. Similar ways of working. Prolific and crazy. Ha! Perfect motivation. Perfect idol to idolize. It could be a song, a person, a quote that motivates you. It could be a sunny day, a rainy night. I love recording music on a rainy evening. Perfect time to be motivated. Really get lost in the music and in the head. That is true happiness. That is the only happiness. The only solace in this rough patch. Hmm. And I'll just cut it there. Wow. I thought it was really nice. I wrote that? You wrote that. <laughs> you wrote that and it's inside of you. Oh, wow. So, you know. I did not realize. That's, I can promise you that what you played tonight is not your last song, hmm. even if you choose to title it that. And I hope it's not your last song. <laughs> it's in, uh, But if it is, it's a beautiful Thank last you. song. So, thank yeah. You. So, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank this you for really having nice. me. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed this. It was Yay. fun. You've been listening to Petticoat Rule, galvanizing women in musical creativity. The views and opinions expressed during the show are solely those of the persons appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the producers. Subscribe and find more information and episodes at petticoatrule.net. Follow us on Facebook at Petticoat Rule and on Instagram and Twitter at Petticoat Rule FM.